The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Football Friday, April the 29th, 2022. And uh, you're listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson, as we are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. And we've got two hours of nonstop action for you today. I think you know what the breadth of the conversation will be about this morning. As the two biggest stories, obviously, in sports were the NFL draft that occurred yesterday and specifically things that happened in the state of Arizona. And, of course, the Phoenix Suns' victory over the New Orleans Pelicans yesterday afternoon, last evening, as they uh, uh, finally put away the, uh, the young kids, put them to bed, and are able to move on. We also have some Wildcat news to get into, lots of things happening for uh, current and former Arizona Wildcats, DeAndre Ayton included. We'll talk about his play last night and in this series, in, in uh, the first-round series of the NBA playoffs. Didn't have a good first half last night. We'll talk about that. Uh, but there's some women's basketball news. Sam Thomas had her debut with the Mercury last night, and it went pretty well. Um, and a former Arizona Wildcat basketball, men's basketball player standout, has picked up another league MVP honor and uh, we'll talk about that coming up later on in the show as well, plus a walk-off win for the Batcats at home. Uh, just a lot of exciting stuff going on in our world today, and unfortunately, only two hours to talk about it, so um, lots of things to do. We also have that pair of Chris Rock tickets that we're going to be giving away. That could be happening at any point in time, so be ready for your cue to call. I will just drop it on you at any moment. It can happen anytime within, you know, between now and 8 57 today where I could uh, I could be dropping that phone number on you so be listening for that your cue to call this will be your final chance here on the morning show to win those Chris Rock tickets to go see him in July at the Ava Amphitheater at Casino del Sol all right so let's start with the Suns game because we'll have plenty of plenty of time to talk about the draft and I may even actually circle back around to the Suns later on in the show as we start to transition into the preview for round two, which will begin on Monday against the Mavs. Of course, you can hear all those games right here on your Tucson home for the Phoenix Suns, ESPN Tucson. I mean, what else can you say other than Chris Paul, holy crap. Like, <laughs> what? I, I, I'm watching the game, obviously, yesterday, and I'm like, okay, it's two for two, three for three. Gotcha, off to a good start. DeAndre Ayton's, you know, three for three, off to a good start. Things are looking good. They're clicking. You know, they're not rebounding the ball they're not playing great defense but the offense seems to be looking good even though Devin Booker had been injected into the into the starting lineup and yes uh, I text my uh, I text my informant over at uh, the Phoenix Suns and was like WTF bro you make me sound like an idiot I told people that he wasn't going to be ready until round two and he says I didn't tell you that I just told you that it was worse than his first one and we kept him out eight games in December because we weren't concerned about him coming back anytime soon. <sighs> Can you speak to me without the riddles, please? Because I was like, oh, crap, that means he's out, you know, eight or nine games. 
my man. <laughs> so my apologies for that. Uh, as uh, you know, much to my horror, when I turned on my uh, my app yesterday, it was about yesterday morning, I guess, you know, a couple hours after the show, and it's like Devin Booker to start tonight. I'm like, hey, what? Big surprise. But it was good to see. It was good to see Book out there, obviously. And there were a couple times where I think the offense may have stalled a little bit going through him. But that's I think that's going to be natural. You miss three games, come back a little uneasy about the the stability of your uh, you know of your of your hammy. Uh, I think that's probably natural. But eventually he got things going, right? I mean, he I thought he played pretty well. He he doesn't you know he didn't have that explosiveness that we are accustomed to seeing. From you know from from Devin Booker, but you know, thirteen points last night. What was he? Uh, five of twelve from the field. He didn't make a whole lot of his threes, but the one he did make was the big one. He hit the dagger in the series, right? I mean, that was the big play, and we'll talk about that coming up when we kind of move into that portion of the game. So as it was going on, I was I was sitting there, I'm, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, God, they're just getting killed inside. And then I saw the halftime stats, and I was like, what in the hell is going on? Did we decide not to show up today? Like, who is this team? And I've been wondering that at several occasions throughout this series. And I'm still, you know, honestly, as much as I've watched this team over the last two years, and, and I only want to say, you know, over the last two years, because that's, that's, that's this iteration of the team with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Monty Williams. You know, that's that's this team, Mikel Bridges. I, I don't want to go back any further, okay, because that would be unfair to this set of players. So over the last two years, I mean, I've watched, I, I would say, 80% of their games um, and or and at least read about 100% of their games, obviously. I was starting to wonder whether it was the Phoenix Suns doing damage to themselves in this series or whether it was the Pelicans forcing their will on the Phoenix Suns causing these problems. And I... I feel like in the first two games, it was the Pelicans kind of, you know, enforcing their will. They were really crashing the boards hard. They were making sure Phoenix didn't kill them on the glass because if they did, they'd lose by 20. And they did a good job. They even stole game two in Phoenix. And then I, th- I felt like the problems in games three and four were self-inflicted by the Phoenix Suns. And then five and six, the Suns kind of got back to being who they were, except in the first half of game six where they were just terrible. At halftime yesterday. Suns are down 10. Okay, they have a, a disastrous, like, four-minute stretch in that second period where I'm just like, if, if this is how today's game is going to go, let's just go ahead and start packing up for Phoenix and try to win game seven on Saturday. They had a season low, eight points in the paint at halftime, eight, and gave up 36, 36 points in the a 36 to eight discrepancy in the paint now that is normally what you see going the other way like when the suns play a, a bad team like like when we saw the suns you know blow out um uh, what was the team that they beat by like 39 earlier this year was it cleveland i think it was cleveland they beat cleveland by a ton of points and at, at halftime i think the suns had like 40 points in the paint and cleveland had six or something like that like it, it was the the score was completely lopsided regardless those are kind of the statistics you used to see going the other way but being down 36 to 8 in the paint is is inexcusable I mean, deandre ayton did not bring his lunch pail to the first half last night just didn't do it i, I mean uh, you know as much as i'll sit here and i'll praise deandre for his play 
I will sit here and equally rip him when I don't believe that he was working as hard or playing as hard as I felt like he should have. And whether he was a little bit gassed in the series, whether they were holding him back, I don't know what the deal was. Regardless, you got to be stronger than that on the boards. You can't just start giving up all those second-chance points. And they did because also at halftime, they had gotten beat 14 to nothing in terms of second-chance points, just getting killed on the offensive glass. And this time, it was hurting them on the scoreboard. You know, all, all series long, I had talked about, well, those offensive rebounds only really hurt if they get put back in. And the Suns' defense has been so good, shooting, you know, they're, they're allowing only 33% of the, the shots after the offensive rebounds to go into the bucket. That's a great return uh, on, on defense after, you know, after losing a defensive rebound. Uh, you don't expect 33%. You just, that's unheard of. Usually 50% or more go back in the bucket. Um, but last night, it did hurt the Suns. I mean, they, they had given up, I think, eight offensive rebounds and 14 second-chance points, which is, again, inexcusable. And the, the big reason why they were down 10, I can't believe they weren't down more. Thankfully, CP3 and DeAndre were unstoppable, unmissable on offense. That was the only thing keeping them in the game at the point. And Mikel Bridges had, uh, had poured in a couple of points uh, at halftime as well, before halftime as well. Also, they were getting killed in the open floor. They were giving up. They, they turned the ball over. I think they had seven or eight turnovers in the first half, I think it was. And they were down 13-2 to two in terms of fast break points. Now, if I were to tell you that a team were down 36-8 points in the paint, 14 nothing second-chance points, and 13-2 fast break points, you would probably think that the score was 70-40 to 40 at halftime. <laughs> okay, great. That's a nice, uh, nice effort there. And... You know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm watching this, and I'm like, God, we we stink tonight. This is just terrible. I can't believe we're only down 10. We deserve to be down more. And then you're thinking about how badly the Suns had been beaten in the third quarter in this series because going into last night's third quarter, the Pelicans were plus 36 on the uh, – 46, I'm sorry, plus 46 on the scoreboard uh, going in, in third quarters in, this, in the first five games of the series, which is a huge discrepancy, obviously. So I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, this is this just isn't our night. We we don't we don't have it. Book, is, like I said, Booker's not coming to the rescue. He doesn't obviously he doesn't have the legs underneath him tonight. He doesn't have his rhythm. The this offense is stalling a little bit when he's out there. It's better just to leave him on the bench. And then the Suns came out in the second half, and Booker was on the bench. And I'm like, okay, they're listening. <laughs> they've they've figured out what it you know what it was that was the problem. And the Suns began attacking the glass and said, no more. And they started attacking other things like individual players. And we'll talk about that coming up uh, as we continue to do this as well because that was another aspect of this series that I thought completely shifted the way that the series was played and the way that business was being done, as I talked about after game four. I don't know what Monty said to the team at halftime. Whatever he said to the team worked. Now, Monty Williams, after the game, when asked, you know, hey, what adjustments did you make at halftime? Every coach or, you know, every media member asked that of a basketball coach or a football coach. What adjustments did you make at halftime? Monty said this. We talked at halftime about the spirit of our team. That that word sound familiar to someone, to you guys? Like, that sound familiar, uh, like, a, like a word you may have heard being thrown around 
another basketball program in the state of Arizona recently. So Monty Williams said, we talked at halftime about the spirit of our team. I had a few personal things to say to them. <laughs> and, and I'm sure he looked directly at a couple of guys that I were already previously mentioned, uh, DeAndre Ayton being one of them. Probably challenged his manhood a little bit at halftime in that locker room. To continue to, to continue the quote, he said the Pelicans were playing with their heart and just playing harder than us. And it was like every time we win a game in this series, the next game we come, in, come into it and just don't have the same juice. And I was like, enough is enough. So Monty had a little come-to-Jesus moment with those players in New Orleans in that, in that halftime locker room last night, and it worked because what we saw coming out of halftime was the Suns hanging 67 on the scoreboard in the second half of a playoff, in, in, a, in a playoff game, a closeout game for a home team. Um, 67 to 51 in terms of, uh, of scoring, uh, you know, scoring output. They won the third quarter by seven points. They win the fourth quarter by nine points and end up putting away the New Orleans Pelicans uh, in, in front of their fans. Now, I will say this. Uh, first of all, mad mad respect for Willie Green and his team the way that they played and you know Monty even talked about it after the game he's like that team didn't feel like an eight seed uh he said that's that, he said, there's no way that they were an eight seed because if you look at their record and the way that they played after the trade after the CJ McCollum trade uh the progression of Willie's program he goes you wouldn't grade that team as an eight seed and I agree that that team that team's going to be scary for the next couple of years especially with the now, what appears to be meteoric rise of Brandon Ingram? Uh, it looks like the second coming of Kevin Durant. Holy crap. That guy was <laughs> unbelievable until the Phoenix Suns said, we're done dealing with you in this series. We're going to trap you as soon as you, as soon as you receive the ball over the, over the, uh, over the time stripe. We're going to trap your ass and make you get rid of the basketball because we're, we're, we're done dealing with you. We're not, we're not going to do this any longer. <laughs> and and that's, what, that's what needed to be done. Uh, but mad props to to Willie Green and the New Orleans Pelicans. That team, they played hard. They took every shot from the Phoenix Suns. They returned a few shots, and uh, they they've earned the respect of a lot of teams, I think, and a lot of eyeballs around the league. Um, and just looking at that team, the young core of their team, where they got you know Trey Murphy and Herb Jones, and obviously with with Brandon Ingram, and who knows what's going to happen with Zion Williamson. I you know I heard Antonio Daniels talking. He, he did an interview up here in Phoenix before Game Six. Uh, Antonio Daniels is the color commentator for the New Orleans Pelicans on the on the television side, and of course you know a longtime uh, NBA veteran, a good you know, good good player was Antonio Daniels. He played for championships, did uh, AD, and he said in this interview he said that Zion Williams wants to be here that he loves playing for the New Orleans Pelicans. And I, I don't know if Antonio Daniels was just towing the company line. Sometimes you'll find that color commentators often do that. Um, or, you know, play-by-play guys even as well. A lot of times they'll just kind of tow the company line. They just they want to build up the team, which is fine. You can be, you know, hashtag Team Pelicans or whatever. That's cool. You know, that's no big deal. I, I'll believe it when I see it, and then – I also need to see him make a conscious effort to get his body into shape where he's not going to be destroying his ankles and his knees the rest of his career because, you know, you watch Zion play, and I think people forget just how good he is 
when he's actually available. You know, like earlier in this season, you know, or, you know uh, when, you, when you're watching him play and he's making jump shots and you're like, people are like, oh, Zion developed a jump shot. I'm like, he's had the jump shot. Like, <laughs> he just, there's a lot of times where teams are, you know, they, he's just so athletic and he outruns people with the core. He outmuscles out muscles people down low or something. He just doesn't have to shoot the jump shots. But he's always had a jump shot. He's such a talented player and so explosive. I mean, I, I just to have a guy that big be able to explode off the floor the way that he does, it's, it's remarkable. And it is a marvel to watch, to be honest with you. And I hope we do get to see Zion Williamson back on the, back on the court at some point in time. And if he does end up playing for the New Orleans Pelicans, as Antonio Daniels said that he does, that team is downright scary. With Valanchunas at the center, you got Zion at the four, you'd have Ingram at the three, and then you got McCollum, and then you know whatever point guards they you know they want to use, and then you got those lengthy young guys in, in Murphy and Jones coming off the bench. Uh, to play defense, and they, they, both of them scored in double digits last night because they, you know, the the Suns took Ingram, the Suns took McCollum out of games five and six, and took Ingram out of six, game six, uh, and you know the, both those guys scored. Six. That's a, that, I mean, that's a scary good team. That is, you know, that's a top five seed in the West, in my opinion. Um, just looking at them, if they're coming back healthy next season, so uh, props to Willie Green and and look. I kind of had a feeling that the Suns were going to have a little trouble. I thought the Suns would win in five. I didn't pick a sweep. I picked Suns in five in this series just because Willie Green's familiarity with this basketball team. He was with the team the entire season last year with them in their playoff run all the way through the finals, was an assistant coach under Monty Williams during that run. And you could tell that, you know, Willie Green, the guy was so emotional, he's crying on the court. You don't see coaches. You don't see coaches cry. You just don't. Like, Coaches do, even though they want to, they do the best they can to hold that in. And Willie Green was just absolutely sobbing, open court, you know, right there after the game, going to congratulate Monty Williams and the Suns and all the boys that he worked with, you know, last season. Uh, that was an emotional time for him. And uh, look, my props to the New Orleans Pelicans. They did a phenomenal job uh, pushing this series, pushing the Phoenix Suns beyond what I'm sure the Suns thought they were going to get from this team now if it's one thing that i learned and i said this i said this to some people last night you know you watch the series and jose alvarado started bulldogging chris paul and there was a lot of emotion being played with and chris paul kind of got him back in games five and six now some of those plays were dirty he kicked him in the nuts in game five right on a jump shot threw the leg out kicked him right i mean right in the jewels and he was assessed a flagrant one because of it. And in last night's game was given Alvarado the business again. Now, if it's one thing I learned from, and I like I spent when I covered boxing for HBO, one of my favorite people to spend time with was Bernard Hopkins, the biggest sweetheart on planet Earth. The guy whose nickname was the Executioner, and he would walk to the to the ring with an executioner's hood on. He was scariest, like scariest dude ever in the history of, like, boxing, like, watching him walk to the ring and knowing that he could just go in there and maul you completely uh, on the inside because he was just such a savvy fighter. One thing that I learned from, 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 uh, from B-Hop was, you know, he, you know, he'd always say, like, he'd always say, they're going to learn. They're going to learn. And, you know, what he meant was, like, the young kids will bring you all this fire. These young guys will bring all this fire to the ring or to the court or to the field. 
they'll bring all this fire and 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 gumption and pizzazz and swagger and stuff. And the old guys are just sitting there like, you're going to learn, young man, young man. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you a thing or two. And Bernard Hopkins was, I mean, he was like notoriously known for just being the most, I wouldn't say the dirtiest fighter in boxing, but he got away with a lot of stuff. He was a savvy veteran. He was able to hide some of those things that are, somewhat frowned upon in the sport. Um, and Chris Paul did the same thing to Jose Alvarado in the final two games of the series. He's like, all right, kid, I've had enough of your bulldogging. This is it. And, look, this is something we learned as children growing up watching cartoons, right? I mean, this is this is kind of a story that's as old as time where I remember the cartoon where – there's this, there's like this big dog, and he's kind of like an older dog, and he kind of like runs the neighborhood, right? And then this little dog is like coming up to him, and he's like, yeah, ba ba ba, you know, like in his face and all this other stuff, and he just keeps smacking this dog around, like boom, just keeps smacking, like know your role, son, like stay in your lane, okay? Let the big dog roam here, stay out of my way. And growing up, you got lessons from the big kids, right? Like growing up on the playground, whether you were playing basketball or soccer or kickball or you know whatever you were playing. Like, the big kids taught you a lesson, and if you chirped up, you know, you, you got a punch in the mouth. Like, that's just kind of the way things happen, right? <laughs> and, and in this series, we saw a future Hall of Famer in Chris Paul trying to play his game, and you got some young kid coming in from Georgia Tech, ACC Defensive Player of the Year, blah, 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 and doing all these little tricks to steal the ball away from him, and Chris Paul had enough. I said, all right, kid. Now it's my turn. <laughs> Kick you in the nuts, elbow you in the face, split your lip, and uh, welcome to the NBA, young man. And no calls on any of them, obviously. Uh, now he did he did get the the, the F one um, in between games five and six for the kick to the groin. But I thought the best part of it all was last night was the, the I mean maybe the funniest one of them all. I think he actually was whistled for a foul on this one, which is funny because it, it wasn't even a foul at all. Alvarado wasn't even looking where he was going and ran right into Chris Paul and then sp- sent himself sprawling across the floor. Now the slow motion video of this, if you if you want to get a good chuckle out of it, so Chris Paul knows that Jose Alvarado is complaining about a non call coming back after a made basket. Okay. He knows this, and he knows that Alvarado is going to be jawing with the officials, trying to plead his case to, you know, hey, why didn't they get that call, trying to sprint back on defense to catch up with Chris Paul, who had already, you know, left the position and started heading up court. Chris Paul knew this. He stopped and waited and just kind of looked very shyly over his shoulder and waited for, and didn't didn't move his shoulder, didn't step into the path of Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado ran right into him, and I mean – blam, just ran right into him. And Chris Paul didn't budge, just stood there, like took the shot and waited. And Alvarado goes flying, sprawling across the floor. And <laughs> Chris, Paul's, Chris Paul's got this look on his face like, bruh, like, you weren't supposed to hit me that hard. <laughs> like, like, what are you doing, kid? And then gets called for the foul, and he was like, whatever. <laughs> But that's how uh, hey, that's how it goes, man. You wanna you wanna show your bravado. You wanna say things like like uh, Jose Alvarado, right? He said, um, "Chris Paul's a Hall of Famer, but he's gonna remember my name." And yeah, he probably will remember your name as they etch 
Chris Paul's name into another line on the record books saying how he is the uh, only player in NBA playoff history to shoot 14 of 14 from the field in a playoff game, and the guy guarding him was Jose Alvarado. So congratulations. You got your name mentioned in a Hall of Famer's, maybe a Hall of Fame speech. That would be fun. Chris Paul says, I'd like to thank Jose Alvarado for allowing me to go 14 of 14 in game six of the NBA playoffs. <laughs> be the first player ever to do that. He was also 4-4 four four from the free throw line, by the way, not that you could guard somebody at the free throw line. But, uh, yeah, Chris Paul was amazing last night, 33 points for CP3, just further cementing the fact that he is one of the five greatest point guards ever. And I, I don't want to hear any arguments from that. There, you can't argue it. You, you, just, you just can't. I've, I've heard pushback from people. I've heard people up here in Phoenix like, oh, I don't think like, we should put him in the top five all time. I mean, what has he won? What has he done? Stop. <laughs> okay? Let's just think about this and, uh, and think about it rationally. And if, if you understand basketball, you know the game, you know the history of the sport, you would agree. He's one of the top five-point guards of all time, period, end of story. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll continue to talk Phoenix Suns basketball, some other things that I saw, some things that were encouraging, some things that may be some things to note in the upcoming series against the Mavericks. I'm not, maybe not too happy about. Uh, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the NFL draft. we got Arizona Wildcat news to talk about. Still a whole lot more to do here on a football Friday. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. So the Phoenix Suns filling the stat sheet last night. As I mentioned, Chris Paul, 33 points, five rebounds, eight assists, one steal. Did have three turnovers. Like, come on, Chris. 14 of 14 from the field, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, 1 of 1 from beyond the arc. DeAndre Ayton last night in 39 minutes, played a lot last night. I think, I don't know if JaVale McGee is is ailing, if there's something you know wrong with, with JaVale, but he only played three minutes last night, and Bismack Biombo, uh played four minutes. Uh, I don't know if, if JaVale is, is, you know, under the weather or, you know, nursing an injury or something, but regardless, he has not played a whole lot. Uh, but uh, DeAndre last night, 39 minutes, and maybe that's part of the reason, you know, Monty was probably like, we're going to play you 40 minutes tonight, big guy, you know, keep yourself rested. And then at halftime, they were like, okay, I want you to keep yourself rested, not completely out of the game. Uh, 22 points for Dre, seven boards, four assists, including – Man, one really nice dish that he had to Cam Johnson in that game. Uh, also has a st- had a steal in the game as well, uh, did DeAndre. Had a block shot, no turnovers. Uh, he was 10 of 12 from the field, 2 of 2 from the line, did not attempt a, a three-point shot. And then the aforementioned Devin Booker, only 13 points, five rebounds, three assists. But uh, I, th- I thought that, you know, having him out there as a threat was, you know, was a big deal for the Suns and – no shot was bigger in that game than the three-pointer that he hit from the right elbow. And he was wide freaking open. Like, <laughs> like when they passed him the ball, I, just, I, I you know, was just kind of idly paying attention because I was watching something, something with the NFL draft. Like the Suns had just – or the, the, the Cardinals had just made the trade or something. I, something was happening in the draft. I was like, what's happening? And I looked up, and I see – a light-skinned guy shooting the ball. And I'm like, oh, 
They left Landry Shamit wide open. Wait a second, why is Landry Shamit in the game? No, that's Devin Booker. Why on earth was he left that wide open? And everybody else in the Phoenix Suns was wondering the same thing. Monty Williams mentioned it after the game. Chris Paul mentioned it after the game. Uh, and he was like, Chris Paul said, I don't know if they forgot or they didn't realize who it was. He said, but I looked over, uh, saw how they shifted, and he said that was probably the biggest shot of the game. And he's right. That was the dagger that sent the Pelicans home because that made it a five-point lead for the Phoenix Suns, and they never looked back at that point. After that, um, they were able to get a, an alley-oop dunk to DeAndre. Uh, Mikel Bridges got a steal and a dunk. Uh, then Jay Crowder got the big block shot off of the backboard that resulted in a, pl- in, a, in a play in free throws. So that was that was the big that was the big shot of the night, the big shot of the series. And there you go, Devin Booker. Uh, and I just felt like there was just too much. Phoenix Suns were just clicking too much on offense last night, late in that game, especially in the second half, but uh, especially late in that game for the for the Pelicans to keep up with. So. We will uh, we will start to preview their series versus the Dallas Mavericks. Again, that starts on Monday. You'll be able to hear that here. Coverage will begin on that game at 6.30 here on ESPN Tucson with tip-off scheduled for about 7.07 on, uh, on Monday night, game one. The Phoenix Suns did win all three of the games they played against the Dallas Mavericks this year. None of them were particularly close, but they also have not played them since January, so it's been a while since those two teams have seen one another. And we'll have a full breakdown for you on Monday, and I may even preview a little bit of it for you coming up in our number two. Stay tuned once again. Be listening for your cue to call for those Chris Rock tickets. They're going to be giving those away to go see Chris Rock stand up. His, uh, his, uh, ego, his world ego tour coming up uh, in, uh, in July. We have one pair of tickets to give away for that. Be listening for you to cue to call. Could happen at any time. But coming up next, we'll talk some NFL draft. A lot of moving and shaking. A lot of teams opening some new Christmas gifts uh, yesterday, and some teams and their fans left wondering, what in the world did we just do? That's next right here on The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. So much going on in the world. <laughs> so much going on in the world, man. People are uh, people are having a good time out there. It's I, it, look. It's nice to see that that we're starting to get a little bit of lightheartedness out there. Like starting to see some fun stuff happen, and finally, people aren't taking things so damn seriously all the time, and we're able to have a little fun. Like Jay Crowder and Devin Booker showing up at the press conference last night with. The um, what is it? What, what do you think that four-letter F word was? Because it said it has F asterisk 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 uh, asterisk J Crowder. So let's see. Like like so. There's three missing letters there. Free J Crowder. Did he was he like in trouble for something? Because usually you see those you know like bumper stickers are like free so and so or free so and so free J Crowder. Maybe that's what it was. Or maybe it was maybe it was foul J Crowder. Maybe they just want to send him to the free throw line. Like the, the New Orleans fans were like, foul Jay Crowder. Foul Jay Crowder. I don't know. Fine? Maybe fi- they want him fined for something. They want, to, they want the NBA to dig into his wallet. <laughs> Devin Booker and Jay Crowder showing up in the press conference wearing the FJ Crowder T-shirts. Awesome. I need to get me one of them T-shirts, by the way, because I do often say uh, four-letter F-words in front of Jay Crowder's name. 
from time to time as a Suns fan. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm like, yeah, sometimes I'm like foul Jay Crowder, yeah, yeah, or free him. Yeah, it's like sent him, set him free somewhere else. <laughs> Get out of here, man. All right, let's talk the NFL draft because last night was it? It, it was wild. It really was. Like you, you mean look at you know everything that happened in the draft last night. Uh, wow, <laughs> there was a lot going on in that draft. I mean, you 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 look at the amount of trade. Was there? There was nine trades, right? Nine trades, which is uh, the most in an NFL draft other than the 2010. I think it was like the 2010 draft. I think was the only one uh, that had more. Uh, the more draft day trades. Now, like, everything was fine. Like, everything was going well. In fact, I had the first four picks nailed. I posted on on FanDuel, I'm like, hey, look at me. Because they, uh, they had a prop bet on Daryl Stingley going number three overall and Ahmad Sas Gardner going in the top five, somewhere in the top five. I was like, oh, that's, that's definitely going to happen. I know the Texans are going to pick Derek Stingley. And they did. And my buddy, it's funny, my buddy texted me, Everybody's a huge football fan. He texts me when when uh, when Houston drafted Stingley. I get like these capital. What are they crazy? And then I sent him my bet slip, and I'm like, check it out. And he's like, oh, you're crazy, man. How do you know that? <laughs> like, people went really quiet on Derek Stingley the last two weeks. Dead ringer. Dead. I mean, that that is that is as obvious as it comes. When teams stop talking about players, that's when you know they're going to draft him. Because they don't want to, they don't want to talk about it. They want to keep his name out their mouth, so that nobody is listening to the name of that player and being like, "Oh, the Texans are interested in Stingley. How do we move up and you know draft ahead of him?" Uh, yeah, no, the team stopped talking about a player. They gonna draft him. So you look at last night's draft. It started off Trayvon Walker uh, it, for weeks, right? And look, we see this. People say it happens every year. We sports fans have the funkiest memories ever. You can remember a statistic that Ty Cobb had in 1909, but you can't remember that every NFL draft for the last 10 years has featured a player who's been basically bandied to be the number one overall pick and then on draft day it not be that player. (laughs) It happens all the damn time. For weeks, we were talking about Aiden Hutchinson as being the number one pick. And just because he is the best player in the draft, and he is, okay, he is, mind you, the best player in this draft. Just because he's the best player in the draft doesn't mean he's going to go number one overall because you have humans involved and humans who run bad football teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars who say, tell you what, Aiden Hutchinson, we know you had 14 sacks last year. You've led the Big Ten in sacks for the last three seasons. You played on a, a you know on a, on a great defense that went to the Final Four in the in the college football playoffs last year. And, you know, your, your dad's a football player, your mom is a great athlete, entire family's full of athletes, that you're a Michigan man and that you, you know, you've got this high motor and this high character. We love the interview that we have with you. And we're going to go with Trayvon Walker because of uh, hashtag SEC. I don't know. I, I, like, I really don't know. A guy who had nine sacks in his career at Georgia. <laughs> okay, sure. And people are like, oh, well, he was a much better athlete. Oh, is that so? Because Aiden Hutchinson was better at the at the cone drill in the combine, he had a better standing long, uh, high jump. Uh, the, the vertical jump was better than Trayvon Walker's. Like, he, like, no, okay. 
Trayvon Walker was a, a as a very gifted athlete, played on a very gifted football team and a, a loaded defense last year, and he went number one. I'm not saying that Trayvon Walker is going to be a bust or that he's a bad player. I'm just saying that Aiden Hudson was a better player, which made, like I said yesterday, the number two pick for the Detroit Lions the easiest pick in the history of the NFL draft. The Detroit Lions, Aiden Hudson checked every box that the, that the Detroit Lions, that any team would be looking for in a draft. And like I said yesterday, if you have a hundred things on your list, there's a little box next to that, next to each of those, each uh, each of those items, and you need to check as many boxes as you can before you draft a guy number one or number two overall. Most guys would need to check seventy percent of the boxes before you decide to take him number one overall. Aiden Hudson literally checks a hundred percent of the boxes for the Detroit Lions. There's nothing. There is there is nothing. There is zero drawback reasons, zero reasons to not draft. Aiden Hudson, if you're the Detroit Lions. So they marched that card right up there to the commissioner. It was like, here you go. Read his name. He's one of us now. So Aiden Hudson goes number two. As I mentioned, Derek Stingley goes number four, or number three. Ahmad Sauce Gardner goes number four. And then I, I thought the first actual surprise of the draft was Kayvon Thibodeau going number five overall. Now, I'm not surprised that an edge rusher went because what, what did I say? What was it? Wednesday, that it's it's very indicative of this league that it is likely to go, to be edge edge corner corner the first four picks in the draft. It, it's very indicative because we don't have if, if you don't have quarterbacks worthy of a first round or a number one pick, then you know you, you're looking at other the, you know the, what are the other essentially the most important uh, positions on a football field. Edge edge corner corner. That's how it went. Then it went edge again. Then you went. Tackle, tackle, wide receiver, tackle, wide receiver, wide receiver. Like then you're like, okay, now this is starting to feel like the NFL draft. And then tackle again, and then wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. <laughs> See, I said that one of those teams is going to start the deluge of wide receivers. I thought it was going to be earlier. I thought it might have been the Carolina Panthers or a team moving up above the Falcons to start that deluge. That didn't happen. It was the Falcons when they took Drake London with the with the number eight overall pick uh, out of USC. Now let's let's go back to the Kayvon Thibodeau pick for the Giants. Giants fans, look, he's a he, he's a talented player, and I, I you know I saw <clears throat> I saw a lot of uh, Kayvon Thibodeau his senior film because you know being one of the top players in a class, I like to kind of watch and see what they look like in high school, and he was a dominant high school player, obviously. Uh, you know, he had his choice of where he wanted to go play football. And I have said this all along, that Kayvon Thibodeau was more about the business of Kayvon Thibodeau than he was ever was about playing football. Kayvon Thibodeau is a businessman. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Like, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. You can't, you can't deny him his right to free enterprise and capitalism and saying, I want to market myself and brand myself so that I can make money off of my name while I'm here on this earth in the amount of time that I have to be impactful in the biggest entertainment uh, venue, uh, the, you know, the biggest uh, you know, entertainment uh, draw in the world, which is the NFL. Okay? You, can't, you cannot deny him that, and, and I will not besmirch him of that opportunity. I just wouldn't be the team to draft him. That's all. I just don't think he's got a great motor. And the people at Oregon are like, oh, he was, it was part of the scheme. We used him as a decoy all the time. Look, stop. Just stop. Okay? We, we all know, we, every time we hear this kind of stuff, it'll come out 
four years, five years from now, some defensive line coach at Oregon will have a job in the NFL. He'll tell somebody, like, yeah, we had, Tubido, we had Thibodeau up in Oregon. We had to hide him in certain places because he just stopped playing. That, that, this will come out, okay? And like I said, it's fine if you want to be all about yourself. If you want to be all about your own business and marketing yourself to make yourself the most amount of money you can in that amount of time that you have, go for it. I, I applaud you, man. I wish I had been given that kind of opportunity or, or been able to seize that kind of an opportunity. I, you know, fat oaf. I couldn't do it. So uh, here I am. But I would not have been the team to draft him. If you're expecting big things out of Kayvon Thibodeau, he may have those Chandler Jones-like you know, kind of explosions where he'll have three or four sacks in a game or have a couple of weeks where he just really dominates the NFL and then he'll disappear for seven or eight weeks. I feel like that's his trajectory in the NFL. And, again, he'll have some impact. He's that, he's that gifted of an athlete. He'll have impact. He won't disappear. Well, not entirely, but at times he will. The Arizona Cardinals made a trade on draft day, did not make a pick in the first round from the 23rd pick. What did they do, and how did they do it? That's next on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on this football Friday. Having a good one. Lots to talk about today. Now, the Arizona Cardinals got themselves to Hollywood last night, or actually brought Hollywood to the Valley, should I say, because surprise, surprise, as Steve Kime said in his press conference yesterday, or last night, I should say, the Arizona Cardinals added one of the, I probably the blockbuster trade of the round one of the NFL draft yesterday by trading with the Baltimore Ravens in exchange for Marquise Hollywood Brown, reuniting Kyler Murray with his college teammate, roommate uh, at Oklahoma, as Hollywood Brown and him were in constant connection with one another on and off the football field for two years uh, while they played at Oklahoma together. Now they get reunited here in in uh, Phoenix, and look, this was a brilliant move. You know, nobody nobody is as hard on Steve Keim in this business than I am. Nobody. And this was a brilliant move. I, I, you can't deny it. You have a disgruntled quarterback asking for more money, asking possibly for a trade, says he needs more weapons, more, you know, more help. There's on a Cardinals talking about oh do we do we you know do we draft a wide receiver blah 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 do we get offensive line help what you know how do we how do we help Kyler Murray and the answer was let's go get his college teammate and best friend from Oklahoma a guy who has already established himself as a a star wide receiver I mean Hollywood Brown is really really damn good player um and they went out and got him to replace the you know the the absence of uh, of Christian Kirk now that he's gone and he's going to fit right in now this is how you make Kyler Murray happy without paying him right you say look we are doing our best to put the talent around you because we're not going to pay you 45 million a year until you get us a playoff win dude like that's just the way the NFL works we're not paying for no wins 
Like you, you're flashy and you got great ball skills and yeah, you can throw a football really well and you're really fast and you're fun to be around and blah, 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 blah. You don't produce playoff wins. You ain't getting paid that kind of money. You'll get paid good money, but you don't get Russell Wilson money. You don't get Patrick Mahomes money. You don't get A-Rod money. Uh, None of that stuff until you get us a playoff win. So we're going to put the pieces around you to try to help you get that playoff win. The Cardinals were picking 23rd in this draft. And according to John Gambadoro, who is a good friend of mine and a guy who uh, who does radio up, up here in Phoenix and has been in long contact with the insiders and things like, you know, he's been, you know, he, he knows people inside the organizations here. He says that had the trade not gone through, that the Cardinals would have picked Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, which is very interesting because I thought he is probably the the guy who's going to lead this draft in most Pro Bowls made because he's a phenomenal player. Just he plays the center position. It's just not sexy at all to be drafting in the first round. But this was a, a trade that had been in the works for a few days now, apparently, and this was all planned out. And the Cardinals and the Ravens agreed on this a few days ago and knew what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and they pulled the, they pulled the trigger on it. And congratulations to the Arizona Cardinals for landing a good one. They got themselves a really good player. We'll talk about more NFL and the NFL draft in hour number two. We got some Arizona Wildcat news to discuss and those Chris Rock tickets coming up. Stay tuned. A wild and wacky hour number two coming up here on a football Friday on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tank of Verde. KMXZ HD4 Tucson.